Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. It's Matt here, and at the end of this episode, I'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Journey app where you can access all of our recent message content. And actually, the app's the easiest way to share all this content with a friend and to keep up with everything going on around here at Journey. Just search Journey Calway in your app store. Now, most importantly, I hope this message inspires you to take your next step in following Jesus. So if you were not here last week, we started this series, and we are asking ourselves this question that all of us have asked at some point or another. We're asking ourselves, is it possible for two people to stay in love, happy together forever? And all of us think, well, I sure hope so, you know, and some of you are absolutely certain it is, and some of you are, you know, hoping that it will be for you one day. But at the same time, and this is what makes this a little complicated, while we all want it to be true for us and we believe it is true for us, When we look around at what everybody else is experiencing, it makes us go, well, I'm not sure how likely it is, you know, at least not for most people. And then when somebody says, well, how do you make this happen? Oh, that's that's when everybody gets quiet. It's like, well, not really sure. You know, most of us believe in this simple equation. What we've decided is if two people stay in love, it's because this happens. You meet the right person and you fall in love and then you promise or commit that you're going to stay together and it just happens to work out. But as you know, or as many of you know, it is not that simple, is it? It's not that simple because falling in love requires a pulse. Anybody can do that. That's a little overrated. Staying in love is very different. Staying in love requires a plan. Staying in love requires more than just, well, I met the right person and just got lucky there and hit the lottery, you know, and then we fell in love and then we just promised, you know, I do, I do, okay, we'll, we'll do it. And it just happened, you know, it, nothing like this happens. Falling in love just happens. You don't have to work hard to fall in love. Staying in love doesn't just happen. You have to be intentional about it. It takes some effort. The question becomes, who ever sat you down and explained to you the plan for how you could have better chances of staying in love, happy together forever? Whoever sat you down and said, well, okay, if this is what you want relationally, here's the plan that will get you there. And the answer for most of us is, nobody ever sat us down, did they? Nobody said, well, here's the key and here's what you got to do and here's where you got to focus because everybody just assumed what's going to happen or it's not going to happen. But you have to have a plan and here's the irony of it all. The plan has been sitting in plain sight all along. And the reason I say that is because the plan is right there, crystal clear in this collection of documents that we call the Bible that, you know, your grandmother had one on her coffee table or you got one on a shelf, and if we just grab it and dust it off, everything is right there in front of us. As a matter of fact, Jesus showed up and he said, here's how you do it. You love one another the way I have loved you. That's it? Yeah, that's it. It's that simple. To which people in Jesus' world, in the Jewish community, they got to see that with their own eyes as Jesus lived this out. So they began to get an idea of what this looked like. It was simple to understand. It was very demanding, very difficult to do, but at least they saw it. But then there are all these people that weren't in Israel in the first century and weren't around Jerusalem in the first century, and they never interacted with Jesus. And as this message began to spread, and people said, okay, now that you're following Jesus, here it is. You love one another like Jesus has loved us. They would raise their hand and go, we have no idea what that looks like. They didn't have a clue. They had never seen this kind of love modeled for them. They didn't grow up in families where it was modeled. They didn't grow up in cultures where it was celebrated. This was a brand new concept. And so the Apostle Paul, many of you are familiar with him, the Apostle Paul, as he went around 
to all these non-Jewish communities. And he began to teach this message. He would write to them or he would share with them, hey, here's what this looks like practically because they just didn't know. And yet, as he began to explain it, it was so obvious. And we're going to talk more about this at the end. So just, you may disagree with this. That's fine. Just hang with me. But it was so obvious that this was not easy and this was not natural. And I would go so far as to say, I don't think any of us can do this on our own. I think it's impossible to love somebody like Jesus has loved us without the supernatural help of God. And you might disagree with that, and that's perfectly fine, but I'll give you my case at the end for why I think that's true. But Paul would just write down these descriptions, you know. He would say, here are the behaviors. You're trying to figure out what this looks like, and, and if you're doing a good job of it or not, well, here's your list. Here are the details. Here's, how, here's your checklist. Here's how you can know. And so last week we began looking at one of his descriptions of what this love looks like. And it's probably his most famous words because it's read at weddings all the time. So I'll review real quickly. We just looked at the very first part of it. I'll review that real quickly if you weren't here last week. And then we're going to walk through the rest of it together. Here's how he started. He said, if you want to stay in love happy together forever, you have to understand love is patient. This is what it looks like to love somebody like Jesus loves you. You learn to love patiently. This kind of love, it doesn't pressure It doesn't push. The way we defined it last week is that love chooses to pause and move at the other person's pace. That, okay, if I'm loving you like Jesus loved me, then I'm going to pause and I'm going to move at your pace conversationally. I'm going to pause and move at your pace in terms of processing everything going on because you need more time to process. So I'm just going to slow down and let you have time to process. I'm going to pause and move at your pace in terms of making decisions. Because I want to make the decision and get it done and get it over with. But you want to take more time. So I'm not going to push you or pressure you to make a decision you're not ready to make. We're going to slow down. I'm going to move at your pace, not mine. Then I'm going to pause and move at your pace when it comes to when we're going to get married, when we're going to have kids, you know, when we're going to make this big life decision. I'm going to pause and move at your pace when it comes to when we get out of the house. You know, it takes for a, we're just going to, we're just going to move at your pace for when we leave and head to that. And yes, we're going to be 15 minutes late the rest of our lives, but, but I'm going to move at your pace. You know, it, it shows up in big ways and little ways, doesn't it? And this is not one of those things that at a wedding and you're standing in front of the person you're committing the rest of your life to, you just suddenly don't get patient. It's not something that just magically happens when you say, I do. Patience is a learned virtue. And if two people are not willing to learn how to be patient with one another, if your two people are not willing to learn how to pause and move at the pace of the other person, then it's very, very difficult to stay in love, happy together forever. You can stay together forever. You can stay committed forever. But staying in love happy together forever is an entirely different thing. Then Paul goes on. He says, love is kind. It's not just patient, it's kind. Which isn't something that's soft. No, no, no. Paul says, no. Your kindness that you need to demonstrate requires great strength and great self-control. That kindness is loaning someone your strength, not reminding them of their weakness. Kindness is love's response to weakness. You want to stay in love forever? You want to learn how to love somebody like Jesus has loved you? Okay. When you see weakness in somebody, you do not respond with harshness, criticism, condescension, or judgment. You respond with kindness. You respond by stepping in 
and loaning them your strength. You respond not by going, oh, I knew it. There you go. You did it again. You did it again. That's the third time this week. You did. I knew you would. I knew you were going to spend too much money. I knew you were going to end up racking that debt up. I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew. No, no, you don't do that. You just lean in and say, I've got a strength where you've got a weakness. How can I help? That's what kindness does. And as I said to those of you last week, to those of you who aren't in a relationship but are in a marriage, but you're dating somebody, or one day you hope to be dating somebody, you got to pay really careful attention to how the person that you're dating or hope to date, how they respond when they see weakness, not in you because they're going to be on their best behavior with you, but how they respond when they see weakness in somebody else, a coworker, a friend. Because however they respond with them is eventually how they will respond with you. And then Paul said this. He said, love, it does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Love is humble. In other words, love steps out of the spotlight and lets someone else shine. That if I'm loving you like Jesus has loved me, then I'm not going to be threatened by your success. And I'm not going to feel the need to always one-up your story. And I'm not going to feel the need every time somebody's praising you for something you're great at to interject myself and say, well, you know what, I may not be great at that, but I'm really good at this. You know, if we didn't have this, no, no. Love doesn't do that. Because love has learned how to overcome the insecurity, the jealousy, the envy, the arrogance that rattles around in so many of our hearts that causes us to try to steal the spotlight from somebody else. Love is perfectly content putting the spotlight on the other person and letting them shine over and over and over again. And as I reminded us all last week, this is exactly what God does for us, isn't it? God is patient with us. He pauses and moves at our pace. He accommodates to our capacity. He doesn't demand we move at his pace. It would be impossible. God is kind towards us. That in our weakness, he did not walk away. In our weakness, he didn't put his hands on his hips and say, you know what, once you straighten all that out and get your act together, then we'll talk. No, no, no. He just leans in and steps in and wades in right into our mess and our weakness. And he loans us his strength. And Jesus showed up, and he said, no, 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 I'm not here to put the spotlight on me. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm just going to let you shine. I'm not going to try to demand what is rightfully mine. That's what our Heavenly Father has done for us. But Paul's not done. As he unpacks and details for us exactly what it looks like to love people this way, he continues to give us some behaviors that serve as a checklist, if you will, or as a plan, if you will. And he's going, if you can just grow in these areas, you will have the capacity and the ability to stay in love happy together forever. So here's what he says next. He says, love does not dishonor others. Love, the kind of love that your heavenly Father has shown you, the kind of love that allows you to stay in love with somebody forever, is a love that chooses to never dishonor somebody else. Or if I could say it this way, love doesn't behave disgracefully or indecently or disrespectfully. That this kind of love is not going to dishonor you by demanding another drink when you've asked me to stop. This kind of love is not going to dishonor you by telling that story in front of those people that you know is going to embarrass them and you're going to tell it anyway. That love does not dishonor you with the things, with the words that are said to you, or the words that are said about you, or the words that are said behind you. The love's not going to dishonor you by making those comments that are designed to make you feel ashamed. No, 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 love's not going to do that. Love is going to choose to honor 
the other person. That in every situation and every circumstance, this kind of love is driven by how can I most honor them. Now, let me just hit pause and talk about this for just a second. Ladies, let me talk to you first, okay? Are you ready? This is going to be hard, ladies. There are some ways, ladies, that you dishonor men. I am not a lady. You can figure that out on your own, okay? That's all I got to say to you. Y'all go with that? You can figure that out on your own. Gentlemen, now let me talk to you for a minute. Really, ladies, that's all I got to say to you. I'm not getting in trouble. So you're, you figure that one out on your own. Gentlemen, I, do, I am a man, so I want to talk to you for a minute, and not because I'm trying to pick on you, but just because I know us, okay? I want you to imagine something for just a minute, guys. Imagine what it would be like if men never again made a choice to dishonor a woman with the way we look at them, that a man never dishonored a woman again with their lust, a man never dishonored a woman again with their words, a man never dishonored a woman again with their thoughts. Imagine if men never dishonored women again by treating them as inferior. Imagine if we were in a world where men never dishonored women again by using the terminology that's often used to describe them. Imagine if men never dishonored women again and said, no, 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 I'm not going to be entertained by content anymore that's dishonoring to a woman, whether it's the music, the media, you know, the movies, or whatever. I'm just, I'm just not entertaining myself with content that's dishonoring women. Imagine how different our world would be. Now, the reason I bring that up is because, as you well know, I don't have to tell you, as you well know over the last couple of years, in our country, we have seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of stories come to light of men who have repeatedly made choices to dishonor women. It's been going on a long time. Now it's just coming to light, and everybody's starting to find out. Imagine how different our country would be if we as men just took, let's forget the rest of the list, just took this one and said, okay, I'm not going to be dishonoring towards a woman ever again. Imagine, let's just, that's too much, okay? So let's, the country's too much. Imagine if just in our community, men did this. Imagine, let's just narrow it down some more. Imagine if just those of us who are men who claim to be Christians, if we practice this. What if just those of us who follow Jesus said, you know what, I'm actually going to love people like Jesus, so I'm not going to dishonor anyone again, including the women in our community. Can you imagine what an impact that would make? I know what kind of impact that would make because in the first century, this is exactly what happened. In the first century, no one was honoring of women. Women were treated as property. There was no group or community a woman could go to where she would get honor until Jesus showed up. And he introduced this concept, and he introduced this kind of love, and he demanded this from people who followed him. And then Paul and Peter and Matthew and James and John and all of these men who first followed Jesus took it seriously. And they began to share it with people as they shared the message of Jesus. Here's what it looks like. You should never dishonor someone, even a woman, in that culture. And you know what happened? The church in the first century, you, can, you don't have to open up your Bible to learn this. Just search it in history. The church in the first century became the safest place for women to be. And women flocked to be a part of that community because they knew in that community I'm safe and in that community I will be honored. And I don't have anything to worry about. 
Or call me naive, but I just think, you know what? If that's what Jesus expected in the first century, it ought to still be true today. Those of us who follow Jesus, our communities, we call a church, you know, this movement of people that we all gather together with. This should be the safest group of people. The most honoring group of people to women. Women should want to be a part of it because they're going, this is going on in our culture, but that's never going to happen there. That's what it ought to be like. So, ladies, let me say this to you. And this is one of those things, I'm going to preface this, okay, with a big, long preface. Here's what I'm about to say. I'm about to say something that every time I say something like this, I know it's going to be uh, taken out of context, and then it's going to come back to me, and I'm going to get a nasty email. So I know all of that's about to happen, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? Because you're a mature group, and you'll, you'll understand this, and you know how to apply it appropriately and not inappropriately. So that being said, ladies, I don't think you should ever stay in a relationship that's dishonoring towards you. I don't think you should. If you're dating somebody and they're being dishonoring towards you, you should just, you have my permission, just pull out your phone right now and text them and say, we're done. If they say, what just happened, say, blame it on Matt. You can give it to me, it's fine. Give them my email. But you you should just be done with it. You should. If you're in a marriage relationship, I don't know exactly what this looks like for you because I don't know your specifics, but you, you got to put some boundaries up. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Listen. Ladies, you should never tolerate being in a relationship where you are dishonored. Because if someone treats you dishonorably, if someone behaves dishonorably towards you over a period of time, it's only a matter of time before you will believe you are dishonorable. I've seen it happen way too many times. And you know what happens when you get to the point where you believe you are not worth honoring? You will behave in dishonoring ways. Because you'll come to the conclusion, well, that must be who I am. So you should never stay in a relationship with someone who doesn't see you as valuable and worthy the way God sees you. You shouldn't stay in a relationship with someone who's going to treat you in a way different or contrary to how God sees you. Because you will begin to believe you are not valuable. You will begin to believe you are not worth what God says you're worth. So you got to figure out, and you got to figure out how that lands and what you do with that. But this is not what love does. Love does not dishonor someone else. just doesn't do it. Speaking of this, you know where I think, and this is just my opinion, okay? But you know where I think this is learned and taught? If we want a generation of people who know how to honor one another, it starts in the home. It starts with kids seeing mom honor dad and dad honor mom. And kids learn how to honor mom and kids learn how to honor dad. And sometimes you'd be talking to teenagers, you know, or college students or whatever, and they'll go, well, you don't understand, it's just mom, it's just dad. No, no, no. If it's just mom or just dad so you can treat them that way, eventually it's just going to be your husband or wife and you'll treat them that way. That's how you'll justify it. So I think it starts by practicing this in the home. And if you can do it in the home, then it translates everywhere. If you tolerate dishonor in the home, you're going to see dishonor expressed everywhere. All right, that was just my two cents. Let's move on, all right? Love, Paul says, is not self-seeking. It's not self-seeking. Not only does it not dishonor somebody else, it's not self-seeking. Or another way of saying that is, love puts the interest of others before my own interest. Love isn't selfish. Now, nobody ever thinks they're selfish. This is, this is one of the things I love about marriage. If you haven't been married before, you'll experience this one day, okay? 
and maybe this isn't true for everybody, but it's certainly true for me. Nobody thinks they're selfish until they get married. Have you noticed how quickly once you're married you realize, oh my gosh, well, first of all, you think they're really selfish, and then you come to the point, hopefully, where you have enough self-awareness to go, I don't think they've changed. I think it's me. I think I'm just realizing how selfish I am. The only thing that makes you more aware of your selfishness in marriage is having kids. That takes it to another level, and all the people with kids chuckled. So anyway, this, this is a problem for all of us, but it's really easy to go through life blind to the selfishness in you. Or blind to the selfishness in me. Paul says, no, no. If you want to stay in love happy together forever, you have to be aware of your selfishness and learn to put the interest of the other person before your own. Now just imagine this. Imagine a couple who wake up every single day and more times than not, their thoughts are, how can I put their interest ahead of mine? Well, how can I put their interest ahead of mine? What kind of relationship do you think they're going to have? Pretty amazing one. It's not rocket science, but it's so hard to do, isn't it? So hard to do. As a matter of fact, here's a little trick for you. Next time you're in an argument and you want to put an end to the argument, you ever been in one of those? You're like, I don't know how to stop this, but I just want to be done with it. Here's how you're done with it, okay? When you're in the middle of arguing with you know, your spouse or your date or whoever it is, when you're in the middle of arguing with it, just pause and look at them and go, you know why I'm so ticked off right now? I'm not getting my way. That's all you have to say. They will be so stunned. They won't know what to do. They will have no reply for you. It's kind of like, what? Did he just admit that? Yes, I, I don't even know what to say. You can just walk off. It's great, you know? But it's also true, isn't it? I'm mad because I selfishly want something that I'm not getting. Now, if you're in a dating relationship, you should pay really careful attention to this. How often do they put your interests before their own? Now, in a dating relationship, it's a little easier to do because, again, you want to be on your best behavior. But here's how you test this, okay? If you really want to test the person you're with, here's what you do. You make a point to, in every situation, put them before you over and over and over again. You just put them before you, them before you, them before you, and just do it forever, okay? T take a week, two weeks, a month, just go, I'm just going to do it every time. No matter what I want, I'm going to put them before me. And here's, here's how you know. If you give, 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 and you see they just take, 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 then you should run, run, run. That's what you should do. All right? Because if you give, 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 you should see them turn around and give, give, give back, okay? And if they're just taking, oh, I love this. This is awesome. I'm getting everything I want. Run, run, run. All right? So anyway, that maybe will be helpful for you. Paul goes on. He says, love is not easily angered. Okay? You want to stay in love? You got to learn not to be easily angered. Now, highlight the word easily because all of us are angered at times. And that's not even always a bad thing. But you can't stay in love happy together forever. If you don't learn how not to be easily angered. Another way to think of this is love absorbs rather than reflects. Let me explain this. That whenever something happens that creates anger inside of you, people who stay in love, people who learn, have learned how to love like Jesus has loved them, they don't reflexively respond to what angered them. They choose to respond. It's not a reaction, it's a response. They don't react, they absorb. They don't react, they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, that just happened, it created anger in me, but before I just say something, before I do something, before I act in something, I'm hitting pause on my own emotion. And I want to get to the root of exactly why I feel the way I feel. What is it about this that angered me? 
because maybe I don't need to express this at all. Maybe I need to overlook this and move on. Or maybe I need to express it, but I'm going to choose to respond in a way that's going to strengthen this relationship, not tear it apart. Love's not easily angered. Some of us, if you're honest with yourself, you would admit, you use your anger to manipulate. You use your anger to get your way. You use your anger because you know if I just power up and show my anger, then they're going to back down. Well, that is dishonoring, self-seeking, and being easily angered. Love doesn't do that. Paul continues. He says, love keeps no record of wrongs. You know this. This is simple. Love doesn't keep score. Doesn't keep score. You've never met two people who stayed in love all the way to the end and had an extraordinary relationship, and they both kept scorecards. I've got a scorecard for 40 years. I, I don't know all the great things he did, but I can tell you all of the bad things he's you know. Those relationships don't exist, do they? You know this. Now, for some of you, this is really easy because you can't hardly remember what you did yesterday, so you can't keep score very well, can you? It's like, I don't know. He brought up, I don't remember. She brought up, I don't remember. But then there are others of us, come on, you, you remember everything, don't you? You remember everything. And whenever something happens, whenever they do this, it's like, oh, I knew it, I knew it. That's the sixth time you've done that in the last year, and they're just shocked. They're baffled. They're like, no, I haven't. And you're like, oh, yeah, now it's a matter of proving you're right. It's all about justice, isn't it? So you're building a case. So you go, yeah, 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 not only did you do it right now, which I knew you were going to do, but you did it last October 13th. Do you remember this? And you did it July 12th. you remember this? And you did it February 3rd when we were at your mother's. Do you remember that? You just, got a, you just got a whole record. Now, listen, listen. Here's what you have to understand. The reason you do that is because you're trying to prove that you're right. You're trying to win the case. The problem is there is no judge or jury present. So there's nobody there who's listening to the case that's going to arbitrarily rule in your favor or against you. You can't win the case. You can be completely right, and guess what will happen? You will also be completely alone. That's, that's what you'll win. There's your grand prize. Love keeps no score. What Paul's getting at is love shows grace. Love is quick to forgive, and not that you can forget, but love is quick to move beyond it and not hold it against the person. Love shows grace to somebody else because that person knows at some point they're going to need grace. Isn't it odd how oftentimes the people who are best at keeping score never keep score on themselves? Have you noticed that? Paul's just saying you got to show grace back and forth. There's got to be forgiveness. He continues on. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, here's what he's getting at here. Love keeps bad things out of the relationship. If you want to stay in love, happy together forever, you cannot, I can't overemphasize this, you cannot smuggle things into the relationship that are bad. You cannot smuggle debt into the relationship. But I don't want them to know about it. I haven't told them. You cannot smuggle spending into the relationship. I'm just hiding it from them. They'll never know. You cannot smuggle pornography into the relationship. You cannot smuggle past sexual activity or present sexual activity into the relationship. You cannot smuggle bad habits into the relationship. And go, well, they'll never know and it won't make a difference. Oh, it always makes a difference. One of the things that has shocked me the most over the years, I do practically no marriage counseling anymore, but in the early days, 
people would sit down and want to talk to me when they were struggling in a relationship. And the reason I don't do it anymore now is because everybody discovered really quickly that I'm terrible at it. And what I mean by terrible at it is when you go to see a counselor, what you're actually wanting is somebody just to listen to you and to hear you out and get to the end and give you a couple little things that make you feel like, oh, there's, you know, it's going to be okay and you're going to make it. I am not that guy, so I'm terrible at it. When you sit down, I'll give you about two and a half minutes, and then I'm like, yeah, I've heard this before. Let me tell you what your problem is, and here's the plan to fix it. That doesn't go well with anyone. So, so anyway, we find nicer people for you to talk to now when you're struggling. But when, I was, when people were talking to me about their relationships, here's what shocked me. And I, maybe it shouldn't have, but I just I couldn't believe this. I can't tell you how many times a couple would sit down across from me and secrets would come out with me in the room. For the first time ever, they would be telling. I, I could tell because they would say something about debt, about previous sexual activity, about whatever it may be. And I could tell on the face of the other person they had no idea. And I would stop and go, oh, were you, did you not know this? They're like, no, 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 I didn't know this. You, you didn't know you had six figures of credit card debt in this marriage. No, I didn't have a clue. And I would look back and go, are you an idiot? I would. That's why I'm no good at this. I'd be like, what are you thinking, you know? Because again, come on, come on. How in the world will you ever have a relationship that is healthy if you don't have trust? This is common sense. And you can't have trust if you have secrets. You can't have trust if you're smuggling bad things into the relationship. You had no idea he was looking at porn. You had no idea she was looking at porn. Oh my gosh, you get... Now, I'd be sitting there, you know, going, you got to be kidding me. And they would say it in front of me because they thought they wouldn't get killed if I was in the room. That's why they were doing it there. But I'm like, are you, are you crazy? So I'm just telling you, again, I don't mean to beat you to death if you have secrets. I'm just telling you, you shouldn't have secrets. You shouldn't have secrets. You are dooming your relationship if you have secrets. You got to come clean. You say, well, they'll, they'll leave me if I come clean. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before they leave you anyway if you keep a secret. The only way to work through it is with honesty. And get some counseling and have some people kinder than me in the room. You know, do, do whatever you got to do to make it work. But love doesn't smuggle bad things into the relationship. It keeps bad things out of the relationship. Paul goes on. He says, love always protects. This is a summary. Always trust, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. If I could summarize all that in one sentence. Love chooses to believe the best and overlook the rest. This is what it does. Because you know this as well as I do. When you're in a relationship, there are plenty of moments where I expected or assumed or you know, was under the understanding you were going to do this, you actually did this, and now there's a big gap. And what you choose to fill that gap with will make all the difference in your relationship. If you fill it with suspicion, oh, I knew they were going to do it again. They're probably trying to you know, pull one over on me. Oh, they don't believe me. If you fill it with suspicion, it will doom your relationship. Here's what love does. Love offers the most generous explanation possible and puts it in the gap until there are facts to the contrary. Love takes the most generous explanation possible. They didn't get home on time, but I'm not going to assume they're just blowing me off and they don't care and they you know, they value work more, they're hanging out with them instead. No, I'm going to offer the most generous explanation possible. They probably got caught and they haven't had a chance to, you know, fill me in or something happened, you know, they couldn't avoid it. And I'm going to, I'm going to just assume the best until they get home and I hear the story. And then if the story was the best, then awesome. If the facts line up with that assumption, then 
our relationship's actually a little better. If it's not, we've got to deal with it. But I'm going to always believe the best, not assume the worst. So there's Paul's list. You want a plan? Paul says, well, here's a great starting point for a plan. You want to stay in love? (laughs) You figure out how you can learn to be patient, kind, humble, selfless, generous, control your anger. You, you, just, you just work your way through this list to which, can we be honest for a minute? We all go, that's not what I signed up for. That's too hard. I'd rather just meet the right person, fall in love, and it all just work out. And Paul knew we were going to say that. So here's how he wraps up this section. You may have never heard this part before. But after describing what love looks like, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. In other words, when I was a child, when I was immature, I thought about love that way. I thought about the way a child thinks about love, and there was nothing wrong with it because I was a child, so I should have thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. This is Paul's way of saying, there comes a point where you have to stop thinking about love like a child. You have to stop believing in fairy tales, and I just met the right person, I hit the lottery, and boy, it turned out great, and we fell in love, and we lived happily ever after. Because that's not how life works. He's, He's going, at some point, you have to grow up. You have to grow up. You have to recognize and acknowledge If I want to stay in love happy together forever, it's going to take work and it's going to take effort. If I want to stay in love happy together forever, somebody's got to change and that somebody is not the other person. It's me. I've got to learn to love this way. Now, if you're thinking that's too much work, I'll never be that. Let me ask you this question. That's fine. Which of these qualities that we just talked about do you not care if your spouse or your date has? Okay? You're married or one day you're married. Which of these qualities are you going, it's fine. I don't need my spouse to be patient. I don't care if they have any patience at all. No, 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 I think I want that one. Okay, well, what about kindness? Why don't we just give them a pass on kindness? No, no, I need that one too. Okay, well, what about not being easily angered? Is it okay if they just, you know, lose their temper all the time? And No, no. What about dishonoring? Is it okay if they dishonor? I'm, my point is you want all of these things to be true of the person that you're married to or one day will be married to. Now, guess what? The person that you are married or one day will be married to, they want all these things to be true of you as well. But there's only one person who is responsible and in control of that happening, and it's you. You can't change them, they can't change you, but you can change you. You can work to develop these qualities. You can work to have the kind of character which gives you the capacity to love this way where you can stay in love happy together forever. And you know what's ironic about this? When you become this kind of person... And when you have this kind of character, when you love somebody this way, you know what they do? Nine times out of ten, they become better. And then you go, I don't know what's changed with them. They're so much better than they were. But they didn't change. You changed. And your love towards them that was so selfless inspired them to change. You can't change them. That's up to them. You can only change you. Now, let me say this and we'll wrap up. I said at the beginning... This is not easy. This is not natural. And I don't believe, and you can disagree, I don't think anyone can actually love this way on their own. 
Because I think it requires supernatural power to do this. But the beauty of following Jesus is this. Jesus didn't show up and say, you need to follow me perfectly. Jesus showed up and said, just follow me imperfectly. Just follow me with all the junk and all the issues and all your impatience and all your anger and all your selfishness. That's okay. Bring it all. Just follow me. Because you know what he promised? He promised to those of us who choose to follow him and cooperate with him that he would develop his character in us. That he would give us the power to change. God said, you know why I want you to follow my son? Because I'm going to conform your character to his. And when you learn to follow me and live like I've asked you to live, you will have more love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all the things you need to love others the way I've loved you. God has the ability to do the thing in us that none of us can do in ourselves, and that is change our character to look like that list. But you have to choose and I have to choose to follow and to cooperate. So today, and tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that, you're going to run into circumstances, situations, and frustrations where you're going to want to respond impatiently, unkindly, selfishly, angrily. What if those circumstances, frustrations, and situations aren't so much about you getting your way? What if they're not so much about you getting the other person to do what you want them to do? What if those are actually circumstances and situations that God wants to use to teach you and to change you and to help you have the character of Jesus? If you will take those circumstances and begin to cooperate with him instead of being frustrated and forcing your will and your way in those moments, you will be amazed at what happens in you and the growth that takes place. So here's my challenge for you this week. Will you pray a very simple prayer? Every morning get up, and all you need to pray is this. God, would you teach me today how to be a little bit more like you in character? God, would you teach me today how to be a little bit more like you in character? Or God, would you teach me today how to love a little bit more like you? If you will pray that prayer, suddenly you will become more aware of these opportunities you have to grow. Now, for those of you like me going, okay, that's a big long list. I don't even know where to start, Matt. That's a little overwhelming. Isn't there like a cheat code we can use and, you know, get there a little bit quicker? There is a cheat code, actually. There's one thing that you, that you could do, and it will change everything. Everything will kind of fall into place if you do just one thing. And Paul gave us a cheat code, and I'm going to show you what it is next week. This week, you're welcome. This week, this week, just be aware and cooperate with what God's trying to do in you to change you and grow you. Let me pray for us. Father, it's hard to do. Help us to be aware. And instead of demanding our way, instead of using our anger to manipulate, instead of being self-centered, instead of being impatient, God, help us be aware of our circumstances and frustrations and go, oh, no, 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 let me hit pause. God, I want to cooperate with you in this. Do in me what you want to do in me. Use this situation to teach me what you want to teach me. Help me to get a little more patient, a little more kind, a little humbler, a little more generous. 
and conform and change us until we have your character so we can love the way we want to love and experience the relationships we want to experience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you take a moment to rate and review this podcast, it would really be helpful. And if you live near our church, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about our phenomenal children and student environments, just visit us at journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Look forward to seeing you soon.